doing today? These people over here are very happy to see me for some reason. It's good to see you guys. We're continuing a series of message called This Is It. Talking a little bit about the uh, prophecies, the end time prophecies, some of the events that are leading up to that. I'm excited about this message, these series. I love preaching about these things. Let's kick it off with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. As we lean in to learn from you, may your spirit quicken our hearts and minds. May we be receptive to hear what you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, you better be ready. Now, I've been talking about, last week I talked a little bit about the church age. I'm specifically going to talk about the rapture and the return of our Lord. Now, I've had people ask me, Travis, why do you want to talk about these things? I've actually had pastors say, man, why do you want to get into eschatology or end-time prophetic types of message? Why even cover those kinds of things? Well, first of all, I enjoy it. I enjoy learning about these things and talking about these things. But another thing is, I think it's important that we remember as pastors and teachers that there is a whole gospel that needs to be preached. Are you hearing me? I believe that today's congregations are hearing a lot about how to have a better life in the here and now and how to have a purpose-filled life. And I'm all about those messages. And I, most of the messages that I preach are life application types of messages in the here and now and how to get through tomorrow and how to get along with your spouse and, and how to raise kids and, and how to thrive in this life that we live in. I'm all about those messages. But every now and then, I think it's important that we talk about these things. And, and I believe that this generation is, here, is hearing a lot of messages about how to be or how to thrive in this life, but maybe not hearing enough about eschatology or end-time prophecies. We do hear about the love of God, and yes, He is a loving God and a merciful God, but He is also a God that is going to bring the world into account. And everybody who has ever lived since the beginning of time, we're going to have our day in court, and there is an eternal application to the Scripture We all end up eternally with or without God. So when you think about that, it sounds like there's a lot at stake. Would you agree with that? I mean, knowing that there is eternal ramifications, there is a lot at stake. So that's why it's important. You know, I thought it's important that I bring this up. The same Bible that teaches love one another, salvation, blessed live a blessed life. It also teaches that there is something coming in the next age, that this world has an end, and there is a new world that is coming. The same Bible that teaches all these things teaches this too. The same God of love and compassion and forgiveness is the same God that the Bible teaches that will bring the world into account and destroy the wicked. The same Jesus who died for all to be saved, known as the Lamb of God, is the same Jesus that is going to return, not as a lamb, but the scripture says, as a lion, to save his church from the destruction of the world and bring the world in order. These are coming events that the Bible teaches, and it's important that we bring these up. It's vital information. So that's why I talk about these things. It's important that we know these things. Also, it reminds us that we need to live right, right? I mean, 
as I talk about end time prophecies, as I talk about end of the world, as I talk about the rapture, if that makes you really, really uncomfortable, if it makes you a little bit nervous, we might want to take inventory in our lives. If that makes you, if talking about end time prophecy, if talking about heaven and hell, if talking about the judgment seat of Christ, all these things that we're going to talk about, if talking about those things reminds you of what you did last night, you might want to take inventory in your life, right? So we're not going to to dodge these subjects because they're uncomfortable. We're going to talk about these things because they're in the Bible and these are things that are coming. Amen? Now we've... We began talking about last week the method of studying end times. I don't have eight weeks to go through this. I only have three more weeks. We talked about the church age last week. If you want to do this, you can divide this into three parts. The church age, the rapture and the return of Christ, the millennium and eternity. Last week we talked about the church age, the here and now, and what Jesus said and how we are to live in that. Today I want to specifically talk about the rapture and the return of Christ. To do that, I want to go to Matthew, the 24th chapter And the 36th verse. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as it were in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. And stay that way. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming... He would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Jesus was talking. We believe that Jesus was talking about something that is known as the rapture of the church. This event announces the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church. On that day, on that day, I believe that people are going to look around and say, this is it. I believe that. I believe that people are going to, this event is going to be so uh, graphic. This event is going to be so significant that people are going to look around and say, hey, hey, this, this is it. Now let's talk about the rapture. Let's talk about it. We're going to break it down and talk about the what, the why, and then we're going to talk about the when. Number one, let's talk about the what. What is the rapture? Let's define it. The rapture is when Christ will descend from heaven And he calls those who have died in Christ and those who are alive, the church. And they will, the Bible says, as we're going to read, they're going to be, we're going to be transformed and we're going to meet the Lord in heaven at the beginning or right before something that is called the tribulation period. The rapture and the second coming are often confused. Have you heard that term, the second coming of Christ? Whereas there's the rapture of the church and there's the second coming of Christ. We don't want to get these two events confused. Let's talk about it. The rapture is where living saints and the believing dead will be transformed, where our immortal bodies become mortal. They meet our spirits in the air. 
Even if you have passed from this life, your body goes into the ground, your spirit goes to heaven. When the rapture takes place, your spirit is united with your body. Even if you're dead, your spirit is united. The the mortal becomes immortal and we meet the Lord in the air. That is the rapture. The second coming of Christ is where Christ returns, descends from heaven to rule and bring judgment to the world. Now let me show you. Let me just, to break this down and show you the differences real quickly, I want to show you a table, the difference between the rapture and the second coming. First of all, the rapture brings the tribulation period. That, that is the announcement. Just go ahead and put everything up there because I want to talk about it. The rapture begins with the tribulation period. That is, when, when the rapture takes place, there is a clock that begins that says that there is a seven-year countdown to the end of the world. It brings the tribulation period. But the second coming, it ends the tribulation period. Now what happens is, Jesus comes back with the church. We have been in heaven with him for seven years. When we come back, we come back at a certain war. It is called the battle of, what? The battle of Armageddon. That's correct, all right? The rapture is a concealed event. Nobody's going to know what happened. People are going to wonder what happened. They're going to look around. People are going to be missing. The cemeteries are going to be turned upside down. They're going to think that there's been an alien invasion if they don't believe. But the second coming is going to be a public event. They're actually going to look and see Jesus come or descend from heaven. The rapture is when we meet him in the heavens. The second coming is he brings us back to earth. The rapture, we go up to meet him. Second coming, he comes down to earth. Rapture, he delivers us. He delivers us from the judgment. But the second coming, he's bringing judgment to an evil world that turns against Israel. The rapture is that he comes to get us. The second coming, he returns with us. So these are two if I'm being clear, these are two very separate events about seven years apart. Now, critics, they don't believe in a rapture. I've heard people say, we don't even believe that there's a rapture. If you really are strong, if you really believe that there's not a rapture, you believe in Jesus. I'm not saying that, that you're not going to make it heaven, but you know, if you want to stick around for the tribulation period, that's, that's between you and God. I believe in a rapture, and I'm going to show you why I believe that. But a lot of people will say, I don't believe in a rapture because the word rapture is not in the Bible. That's true. But the meaning of the rapture is in the Bible. We see other things in Scripture that the word may not be there. An English word may not be there, but there are meanings. For example, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept or the meaning of Trinity is taught. How about this? The word Bible is not in the Bible, but the meaning of the word is in the Bible. Well, the meaning of the word, the English word, is from the Greek. It means the the Greek word is harpozo, which means rapture or to be caught up or to be suddenly taken. So let's talk about where we find this word, this teaching, and the phrases of the rapture. First of all, Jesus mentions it in John fourteen and three. He says, "I go to prepare a place for you, but I will come again and I will take you harpozo. I will take you to myself." That where I am, you will be also. The Apostle Paul, who had an encounter with the Lord Jesus, received this revelation, and he delivers this in a letter to the church, or the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died 
so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe, or because you have believed in the Lord Jesus, you have given your life to Christ. Since we have believed that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that Jesus, when he returns, that that we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So he, he, he introduces the rapture. And then with the next verses, he describes the rapture. The 15th verse says this. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns. Now, the Apostle Paul is not specifically talking about himself and that generation. He's talking about the church. We of the church. He could have been talking in future future means. We, the body of Christ, who are still alive. He says this. uh, uh, Returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel. Don't miss this. It's describing the rapture. The Lord will descend from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. There's going to be an announcement somehow or another, and the entire world's going to hear it. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Second, or then... Together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be harposal, caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another with these words. Can you imagine this day? Try to imagine what this is going to be like. In a twinkling of an eye, as I'm going to read, it's going to be very sudden. Nobody knows what's going to happen. All of a sudden, there are going to be people missing throughout the world. Statistics tell us that about 20 to 25% of the world are believers. So can you imagine that 25% of the world will be taken from the earth? And then those who have died and believed will be taken from the cemeteries. So can you see cemeteries and gravesites being turned upside down, caskets open? I mean, the only thing that we've ever seen that's, that's similar to this Matthew record this, I believe, in the 27th chapter of his gospel. That when Jesus said it was finished, that the earth and sky became dark. I mean, in the middle of the day, the, the earth and the sky became dark. And it was this frightening moment. It began to thunder. And then the earthquake, and then the temple began to shake. And the veil was rent. This place that separated us from the Holy of Holies or the most holy place to symbolize the fact that we now have access to God. We don't have to go through another person. That happened. But the earthquake, it got dark. It thundered. It lightning, And all of a sudden... Graves began to open, tombs began to open, and believers began to walk out of graves, and the Bible said they walked into town. They weren't zombies. They were resurrected from the dead. A couple of reasons why I believe that happened. First of all, to show that Jesus had power over death, hell, and the grave, to show his power had been accomplished. But second, I believe it was a prophetical sign to show what's going to happen during the resurrection. People aren't going to walk into town and talk. I mean, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting there. There's this frightening sight. It's dark. And you look over and there's your dead uncle. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to be like that. We're going to be resurrected. But to show a prophetic sign of what's going to happen, people are going to be resurrected from the graves. 
That's what, the, that's what the rapture is. Number two, let's talk about why there is even a rapture. Number one, to bring hope. To bring hope. Thessalonians 4 and 13 says, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. We are not like those who do not have hope. I am constantly, it seems, I am constantly either attending funerals officiating funerals, a part of bringing hope to people's lives. And I want to tell you something. People who believe and have put their faith in Christ, they grieve differently. There's a difference. When you let, there's a difference in, in, and you can let somebody go. And you, can, and you can say, you know what, goodbye, goodbye for now. But listen, listen, baby, I'm going to see you again one of these days in the resurrection. You know, the older I get, the more I think about that. You know, as I sit around and I think about, and I was at a, at a funeral this past weekend, there's a difference in people that believe. There's a difference in the grief. There's a difference in the cry. There's a difference in the funeral of people. Because we don't grieve like people who have no hope. I've got a hope. And, and it's hard to let people go. Death is tough. This past year, I had to let my mom go. It was very, very hard for me. And some days, I'm sitting in my living room thinking, man, she's not around anymore. That's, that's kind of weird. But then my mind goes back, and I remember this scripture and say, man, I'm going to see that mean Italian woman again one of these days. You know what I'm saying? And she's going to be healthy and whole and a glorified body. I, I have a hope that God gives me because of the rapture. First of all, the rapture, when it takes place, I'll see all of my relatives that have gone on, my friends and family. Another reason we have the rapture is to deliver us from a coming wrath that's coming on the world. People know, people that don't even believe, scientists that don't believe in God, know that this world has an expiration date. This world is coming to an end. The Bible was written thousands of years ago. The Bible has already told us it's going to come to an end. But the purpose of the rapture, one of the purposes of the rapture is to deliver us from an evil that's coming upon the earth. One of the reasons that I believe, and that's what we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Let me say that phrase again. Everybody say this with me. Or let me say it and you say it after me. Pre-tribulation rapture. Before the tribulation period happens, there's going to be a rapture of the church. There's, there's, there's biblical scriptures that back up that doctrine. Some people believe that the rapture is going to take midway through the tribulation period. Some people think it's going to happen and the church is going to go through the tribulation period. But that is not consistent with what the Bible teaches. One of the reasons we believe that is let me ask you a couple questions. Would a just God allow his church to suffer the wrath handed down to an evil world? Would he allow that? In past and biblical history, that's not what happens. He delivers the righteous out of the, out of the wrath that he delivers on the wicked. It's consistent with Bible history. Think about this. Jesus said this, and I'm going to read this in a minute. It's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Let me ask you this. When the apocalypse of the flood happened, did he deliver the righteous with the wicked to suffer the destruction of the world? No, he didn't. He saved the righteous out of the judgment of the world. The Bible says that Noah's family was saved because they were righteous. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9, it says, 
God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Another passage in Thessalonians says that we are to wait for the Lord Jesus, the Son from heaven, from whom whom God raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. What is the wrath to come? That is the great tribulation period spoken about in the book of Revelation. Jesus also gives us a few parables that we are to be watching for a specific event, a sudden event that might take some people unaware. One parable that he gives us is in Matthew, the 25th chapter. If you get a chance to read it, try to read this, but it's the parable of the ten virgins that were invited by a bridegroom to a wedding celebration. Now, here's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to come. They were supposed to have oil for their lamps. They were supposed to be watching for this bridegroom. And if they were prepared, they would be able to go and take part of this celebration. Five of them were ready, prepared, brought oil for their lamps. Five of them, the Bible says there were five foolish virgins. They were left behind. Now, if you think about it, There is an illustration given to us in the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter. The illustration given of the church is the bride of Christ. Are you with me? The church is the bride of Christ. Who is the groom? Jesus. Christ is the groom. When we are are resurrected, when the rapture takes place, the Bible says that we go to heaven and we take part in something known as the marriage supper as the lamb, or the marriage supper of the lamb. Are you with me? Everybody say marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't have time to talk about these things. Go, go read these. Go read the book of Revelation. The marriage supper of the Lamb. First of all, we can't take part in the marriage supper of the Lamb if we're not resurrected before the tribulation period. I also believe this. I don't believe that the bride is going to take a beating the night before the wedding. That's not consistent. I believe that the rapture is our blessed reward for obeying his command and being watchful. Second of all, Jesus is, when he talks about these things, he talks about us watching. What are we watching for? What what surprising event's gonna happen to the world that we're supposed to be watching for? We believe that it is for the rapture. The next thing that we talk about is when will the rapture take place? We talked about what it is. We talked about why it takes place. Lastly, we talk about when the rapture takes place. Two answers to that question. Here's the first answer. First of all, no one knows. Second answer to that question is, at any moment. No one knows, but it could happen at any moment. 1 Corinthians 15 and 51 says, Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. But we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. He's talking about the rapture. But let me ask you this. Will it be an obscure, random moment that nobody knows? I mean, are we, it's going to be something. The Bible says it's going to be when we don't expect it. But we as Christians, is it going to be something that we can have no knowledge about when it takes place? Or will there be signs? Jesus points to a few signs of the rapture. Let's look at it. Back to Matthew 24 and 30. He says this. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like 
it was, look at the two people that he brings to mind. It would be like in the days of Noah, in those days the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings. Right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. The 20th verse says, and the world will be like it was in the days of Lot. People were about their daily business, eating and drinking. When he's talking about Lot, he's talking about what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. That was a complete destruction of a city, two cities. They were, he says they were just doing business as usual. They were living out their life. This, if you read the scripture of what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, it was the most evil, vile city imaginable. We've never seen anything like Sodom and Gomorrah. And the next day, they were just like about business as usual. He says they were eating and buying and selling, farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. Now, if you want to look at that, is that if you want to look at that, this goes back to the question, would God deliver the righteous, or would he allow the righteous to go through the wrath? Everything was safe until Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, Jesus gave two examples of the state of the world and when the rapture takes place. First of all, he says it would be like it was in the days of Noah. And then he if you want to go back to the book of Genesis, I believe it's about the sixth chapter of Genesis, you can read about how vile the world was. Supposedly, there were billions of people on the earth when that first apocalypse took place. But there was no one, no one that was righteous, the Bible said, except for Noah. And here's another thing. Even with Noah building the ark, do you remember how long it took Noah to build the ark? 120 years. Back in those days, people lived for centuries. So it was 120 years. Get this. For 120 years, Noah was building this ark, this three-story ship. I, 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 don't, I can't remember how long it was. Supposedly, What is that place in Kentucky? They have a real-life model of it now. I've got to go see that. But he builds this ark that takes 120 years, and at the same time that he's building this ark, it is a witness of a coming apocalypse. Now, keep in mind, it had never rained on the earth before, the Bible says. So he's talking about this thing that's going to happen that has never happened. So when he's saying, hey, it's going to rain, he, they don't even know what he's talking about. But for 120 years, he's preaching this. Not only is, he, is it a witness against the world that he's building this ark, but he's also preaching the end of the world. And get this, 120 years, nobody gets saved. Not one person gets saved. His family, they got to do what he says, okay? We're all going to build the ark. We're all getting in the boat, okay? But everybody else, except for the eight people, nobody gets saved. That's how evil it was. That's how faithless of a generation. So we're given that example of the days of Noah. Then it's the days of Lot. So you had this very evil, these two cities that were very vile, very evil, we have two apocalyptic types of events in that, that we see, evil times, but business as usual. People ignored the warnings and the signs that were given to them. Second Peter 3 and 3 says this. Most importantly, this is Simon Peter, the apostle of Christ. He writes this in his letter. This is towards the closing. He says, more importantly, or most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. What are they going to do? They're going to be mocking the truth and following their own desires. I just want to pause there for a second. 
because I find out that some people have trouble with believing. Some people take it a step further. Not only do we not believe, we're going to mock your faith. But I find out that, that, that mocking the truth and following one's own desires, they're almost never mutually exclusive. They run hand in hand. People who will point to what we believe and mock what we do and, and, and don't believe, you almost see the underlying issue is not about proving that God exists or, or, or the validity of the Bible. It's basically, this is how I want to live and I don't want to do that because it's contrary to how I want to live. The, the problem isn't that people don't want to believe, it's people refuse to believe because they want to do their own thing. And he says this, here's what they're going to say. Have you ever heard anybody say this? Hey, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was created. Have you ever heard anybody say that? You guys have been preaching that for decades. We have. In fact, we've been preaching it for centuries. How many have you heard for 50 years that Jesus is coming soon? How many, how, is anybody here, don't raise your hand, but anybody here in the 50s that they were preaching the rapture could take place at any time? Anybody here in the 40s? I don't want to, that they were preaching the rapture could take place at any time. Anybody here that they were preaching in the 60s? I'm a product kind of high school of the 80s and 1982. We thought the world was going to come to an end. Listen, just because people are false prophets, just because people aren't reading their Bible, and Jesus said nobody knows the time of the hour, but people are still trying to predict that. Just because people don't get it right or the church isn't accurate does not mean that God's timetable is not running. And we think, you know, decades go by, we think, man, this is never going to happen. But according to eternity and God's time frame of time, it is going to happen soon. Because if, if you read the same person that wrote this scripture, Peter says this, a thousand years is as one day to God, an eternal, infinite God. And one day is as a thousand years to God. So when he says, I'm coming soon, he has a different time frame than you do. Your life, your 80 years is very minial, minuscule when it comes to eternity. Are you with me? But people are going to say, you know what, what, what happened? here's what they do the fifth verse says they deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the world of his command and he brought the earth out from the water surrounded it with water then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood and by the same word the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed Here, here are the signs evil days Mockers of God, people who do whatever they want, no fear, no respect of God. People mock the truth, believe and practice whatever they want, follow their own desires. I don't know about you, but I I think that sounds a little bit like today. These are signs. The first time he ended the water or he ended the world with water, that'll never happen again. And we have a covenant sign. What is that covenant sign? That's it. That rainbow is ours. The first time with water. The next time it is by fire, the Bible says. Matthew 24 and 44 says this, therefore you also must be ready. Who's he talking to? He's talking to believers. You also, you must be ready. Why? Because he says this. He says, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. 
Why? Because it will be a part of our lives. It will be business as usual. Therefore, we must live prepared. As the days grow more evil, the day of the Lord grows closer. Did you hear that? As the days of our world, as our world grows more and more evil, the day of the Lord grows closer. Disobedient people have always been predictive. They didn't believe then. They're not going to believe and they're going to mock and they're going to claim to be atheists and make fun of our faith, but it doesn't change anything. And let me tell you something right now. We're not happy about that. Are you with me? We're not excited about all the non-believers and the atheists that they're getting theirs one of these days. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. The Bible says that God is not willing that anybody should perish. That's you, that's your family, that's also people that are very evil. He's not willing that anybody should perish, and he gives everybody opportunity. But here's the deal. We must be prepared. We must be ready. Let me, let me read this scripture. Second Peter 3 and 11 says, Since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow, don't you see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the day of God, eager for his arrival. Daily expect. Wake up every morning and say, man, this, this could happen today. And we live on the edge of time where there is no other prophecy that needs to take place. Now, now I, could get, I could get more specific. But really, nothing else needs to take place in order for the Lord to return. Daily expect and eager for his arrival. Don't be afraid. If what I'm saying to you today shouldn't you shouldn't walk in fear. You should be excited about this. Daily expect and eager for his arrival. Now we live in Oklahoma. We live in Tornado Alley. And I got friends that visit me from different parts of the world. Guys that one guy from Cambodia, he visits me and he came during tornado season one year. And he was asking me every day if, you know, if I was worried about a twister, if I was worried about tornadoes, if, if you think about it, you know, we, we're kind of accustomed to that. I, I've had people that, you know, from Florida, they deal with hurricanes. They come here, they're afraid of our, of our tornadoes. We're not really afraid of tornadoes. I mean, we can predict it. We're watching for it. We have something called tornado season. We start checking our phones, our apps. We, we have weather apps. We know how it goes. If it's in Norman, that means it's going to go Northeast, it's going to head down the I-40, hit it right here at 177 I-40, and then it's going to go to Prague. We know how that works, right? We have tornado season where we're calling each other. We've got sirens around our community. Sirens go off, man. We know it's, it's time. Another thing is tornado season, we look at the skies. We're, I mean, we're sharp with this. We're not afraid of tornadoes. Because we're prepared and we're able to, 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 to decipher what's happening in the clouds in the sky. Hey, wait a minute. That's a wall cloud. Hang on just a second. Give me a selfie with a wall cloud. <laughs> we're prepared. We have storm shelters where we can hide out. We, we know it's coming. We got five minutes time. We wait to the last minute. We go over and get in our storm shelter. We're not afraid because we're prepared. Jesus said this. When people asked him, when is this stuff going to happen? Or when are these things, or any way that they were confused, he said, look, you're able to go out and you can decipher the weather. You know what's going to happen. You know when it's going to rain. But why don't you know this? It's because you're not watching. This 
hope that I'm giving you or this information that I'm giving you, it's supposed to bring you hope. It's not to make you afraid. And if it makes you afraid, listen, you might want to take inventory today about your life. This is a hope that's given to us. Jesus said when all these things start happening, look up because salvation is on its way. This is supposed to bring you hope. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. All you got to do is be prepared. Get ready for the return of the Lord. Amen? So let me ask you this. Are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say that. Are you ready? If you're not, you can be. You can be. There is this world, we know that it's going to end. That doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out. All you have to do is pay attention to what's going on in the political world, other parts of the world. You know, man, we're going we're gonna to ruin this thing. <laughs> we're gonna, we're, if, if, you know, if it's not a natural disaster, we're going to do it ourselves one way or another. If not, we're going to pollute the world until we destroy it that way. You know, we're all going to fry because the ozone layer is going to, whatever. You know, we're going to drown because of the global war. Who knows? Who knows if there's any truth to some of that? You know what I'm saying? I don't know. One way or another, we know that the world is coming to an end. But it's different if you're a believer. As these things start pointing towards the end of the age, the Bible says that we're about ready to get out of here. And we have a hope of the next life. And if you don't have that hope, you can experience that today if you surrender your life to Christ. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, and thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that we have been given, and you have somehow given us the gift of truth. That this world, although it may pass away, you said, Jesus, the world would pass away, but your words will not. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your words won't pass away. And you've given us a hope of the future of our lives. And we can live this life knowing that we are eternally secure, grounded in our faith and with you. If there's anybody here, Lord, that does not have that gift, does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that you will prepare us. Lord, I pray for Faith Co. Church. Prepare us. May we live in such a way where we are anticipating, where we are excited, where we are prepared for your return. May we not get bogged down with the cares of this life or distracted with things that pull us away from you. But Lord, may we be every day eagerly awaiting your return. And also, may we share this gospel with a world that doesn't know you, with friends that don't know you, with family that that does not know you, with coworkers that don't know you. May we do this, Father, in the name of Jesus. And most importantly, Lord, today, if people don't know you, they have not given their lives to you, today they will do that as we invite them in Jesus' name. As your heads are bowed, I'm just going to give one invitation today. If you're here and you can say, Travis, I don't know Christ. He's not Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you can say, Travis, I have never surrendered my life to Christ. I've never invited him to be Lord and Savior of my life. Or maybe you can say, Travis, I walked away from God at some point in my life, and I'm not living for God right now, in fact. This is a special day for you because you've heard a message 
that's quickened your heart and your spirit. All you got to do is say yes to giving your life to Christ. God is reaching out to you today yet again to give your life to him. It's not about joining a denomination. It's not about joining a church. It's about surrendering your life to your Savior. And today you have another opportunity to do that. This is the Lord reaching out to you again. If you're here today and that's you, Travis, for whatever reason, you want to give your life to Christ, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. I will not ask you to stand. I will not ask you to walk the aisles. In any way, will you, you won't in any way be embarrassed. Embarrassed. I would like to know if I'm praying for people today. So between you, me, and God, if you can say, Travis, if you'll pray for me, if you'll pray this prayer, I'm going to pray it with you. Just to let me know, real quickly, just put your hand up and put it down to let me know you're going to pray. See your hand over here on the right. Anybody else? Travis, I'm going to give my life to Christ today. I'm going to make things right with God. One more time I'm going to ask, and then we're going to pray. That's me, Travis. I'm going to give my life to Christ today. And I want you to pray. Lead me in that prayer before I pray. All right, we're going to pray. And I don't know if I saw everybody's hand, but God saw your hand and God saw your heart. If you didn't, raise your hand. And this is something that you want to settle today. You mean this prayer. Say it with us and give your life to God. Let's all pray together. Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I am before you today and I give you my life. Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, I declare that you are my Lord and Savior. Now take my life and use it for your cause. I give it to you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. It is done. Thank you, Lord.